Everybody, thank you for joining. Uh, I appreciate your time. I know it's um, kickoff uh, Thursday for NBA fans, so we're gonna keep this straight to an hour, so the uh, football game can commence on time uh, for people like myself who are interested. Uh, my name is Dennis Schultz. I am the Blacks and Technology uh, chapter president for New York City chapter. I am also uh, a board member and sit on the national board for Blacks and Technology. And if you're not familiar, or if this is your first event with us, uh, we do just what it sounds like we do. We advocate for um, Black people in technology, Black men and women. Uh, we help them move along in their careers. And if you're interested in getting into technology, we hold events like this where you can get questions answered about specific roles, functions, and uh, technologies, and hopefully, uh, you can join us formally. You can visit foundation. Dot, uh, what is it? Foundation.blacksandtechnology.net or the New York City chapter, which is bitnyc.org. Uh, and with me today, uh, I have Jessica Gaddis and Cameron Hutchinson. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, product design and product management from a software perspective, um, Cameron representing Facebook and Jessica representing Twitter. Uh, since we're gentlemen here, we're gonna do ladies first. Uh, <laughs> Jessica, do you wanna just give us a quick background and introduction to your, of yourself? Sure, um, hi everyone, my name is Jess. Uh, I'm a product designer at Twitter. I work on the revenue side at Twitter, so I design software for businesses and brands who want to advertise on the platform. Um, I've been a product designer for about five years, started my career at Netflix, uh, where I stayed for two and a half years before moving and transitioning to Dallas, Texas. Um, I'm 100% remote, like we all are, um, so Twitter is obviously in San Francisco, I live in Dallas, um, and yeah, I'm really excited to be here, looking forward to all the questions, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. All right, great, thank you. Jess, uh, do you prefer Jess or Jessica? Either is fine. Okay. Yes, it is. All right. <laughs> Cameron. Hey everyone. Uh, my name is Cameron Hutchinson. I'm a current product manager at Facebook. I'm currently um, in a part of the company called Facebook Reality Labs, which um, pretty much tries to take Facebook's, you know, value for social connection and explore it through consumer hardware, software, um, and kind of new initiatives. Um, prior to my time at Facebook, I was a product marketer at Google, in which I got to explore a few different areas, whether that be Google Cloud and focusing kind of on um, the technology that many businesses are, are building themselves up on, and additionally on some, some educational technology places. And so, um, been product adjacent for a long time, and then been uh, in this role as a product manager for a, about a year now um, in at, at Facebook. Okay, v very cool. And uh, I guess this is a good segue into the first question. So you say you've been a product manager for about a year. Um, how did you get into the role? And I guess what made you um, choose that as the path you wanted to take for a career? And I, this is for, for you, Cameron. Yeah, um, great question. I think like it's a question I get a good bit of 
um, you know, what exactly um, inspired you to be a PM. And I think that uh, the route to, to arriving at like, ooh, PMing is kind of cool, um, at least for me, comes from being somewhat near the, the product development process. Um, so right now as a PM, I work uh, with other PMs. I work with designers like Jess. I work with engineers, front and back end. Um, I work with UX researchers, um, marketers, um, content strategists, et cetera, et cetera. I think like each one of those roles is very integral to the life cycle of a product, whether it's in the, the ideation of like the strategy being formed, the product being built, even to the go-to-market strategy of how do we launch this? Once it's in the market, how do we learn from people using it um, and informing the product? Um, so prior to being a PM, my, my roles have been very downstream and, ooh, we have this product. How are we bringing it to the market? How are people using it? When we interview our customers, what are they saying? And that fascinated me. Mm. Me specifically, I think, you know, I like to see things through. So as a product marketer, I would go out there, talk to CXOs about, oh, okay, like this is the value that G Suite's bringing you, or this is the value that um, this solution's bringing you. I would bring that internally, and then I would hand it off to the PM, and then the PM would go and run and make some, some product updates or add that to their roadmap. And, you know, sometimes I'd be in the room like, oh, really cool. Other times I'd be at the door like, oh, what are you doing with, with those insights? <laughs> you know, where, where's, how's that work manifesting? And so I very much loved, hands down, my, my role as a product marketer. And I kind of told myself, mm, if I'm ever going to take a risk, try and expand my scope, um, do something that scares me a little bit, uh, the role that I would want to transition to is PMing. Um, and so, you know, luckily I got that, that opportunity and, and yeah, here we are today. So basically you went from a marketing, marketing, you know, traditional product marketing role into, uh, the product management role. Um, yeah. And I, and I, and I'll let Jess talk about this later as well, but at a lot of companies, there's a real blurring and negotiation of responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, Everything is people on a team coming to an agreement of who does what. And I think that if you see yourself in another role, like just try and get next to that person and be like, oh, I can help on that. I can help on that. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Can we sit in that meeting together? I think I did a lot of that in my marketing role to meet my product managers as we were going to launch for a few products. And um, I think that experience very much like prepared me or made me more secure in making the transition. Gotcha. And, and just for, for you, I guess, um, how did you land in design and what was your path? Uh, mine was actually pretty similar, um, surprisingly, but in a couple different ways. So my background is actually in journalism. Um, that's what I went to school for. That's what my degree is in. And my first job out of college was in San Francisco, um, working at a PR agency. Um, working with technology clients who had these products that they were ready to kind of get media placements for. Um, and it's similar in a marketing sense where you've got this thing, you need to go tell people about it. You need to get, you know, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or Wired um, to place an article about this product. And I found that the clients that I was working with and the products that they were bringing were not that 
exciting, I will say. Uh, they weren't things that were really easy to get placement for. Um, in some ways, they were products that were like almost good, but like not quite. And there were a couple of things that were like, oh, they just did this differently. Um, so for me, I didn't really know what UX design was at that time or what product design was, but I knew that I kept getting these products at my doorstep that I was supposed to go and sell to people that I was like, no one's going to use this. And I didn't understand why, um, but I was curious about how I could get closer to the actual product development process um, to actually influence the changes on the product that would make it something that you would get media placements for. So that's what got me interested in general. I already loved technology. Um, I was already an avid user of technology, but actually seeing, you know, as a part of that go-to-market strategy, there is public relations. I was in that place and I wanted to be a lot closer to really the inception of the idea. Um, so that's kind of what got me curious and excited about learning about something like design. Um, so very similar to Cameron in that it's like, I wanna know like what happened before it got to me. Like, how do I get to that stage in the process? Um, and that's kind of where design, you know, fell in my lap. Okay, so to summarize, you were trying to sell a bunch of whack products. You decided <laughs> that you could do better and decided that it was time for you to make the leap to go and actually do better. I didn't know that I could do better. I just knew that I wasn't sure that anyone would want to talk about these products. And I didn't know why, but it was just like, how do I do something? Like, how do I get help to these clients? Because my clients weren't really trying to hear about oh, you should change this or that. It was like, no, you know, did you place us in so-and-so magazine? And it's like, ah, no, we didn't. But <laughs> there's a reason, but I don't know exactly what it is, but one day I'll figure it out. So, you know, that's kind of what started my, my curiosity. So uh, you made it from journalism directly to Twitter. Was that your first role? Uh, no, so from journalism to public relations. So public relations was okay. my first role out of college. Um, and then my first design role was Netflix. So I started okay. there um, and I was there for about two and a half years. And then I moved to an agency down here in Dallas, a mobile development agency, and then eventually went to Twitter. So um, yeah, a couple of, couple of stops along the way before I got to Twitter, but yeah. Okay. And uh, Cameron, what was, what was your first role? Um, I think I did a lot of uh, exploring of like things via internships. You know, I did a retail strategy internship. I did a finance internship. I did a consulting externship. But my last internship in college was um, at Google, which was my first like introduction to tech. Um, it was in full transparency, like not the like dream role, even though like I love the internship. I was, you know, on the ad side, which like, you know, as a young college person, you think going into tech is like launching the next new billion dollar. <laughs> and I was out here, you know, working with SMBs, you know, teaching like ad strategy. That being said, I do think there's something about the tech culture that like encourages you to think outside of and past your role. And so that summer, I was out there chatting with, you know, people in sales doing something else, people in research doing totally different things, um, uh, content strategists, and, and then I met a few product marketers that really, like, inspired me, told me about post-grad options that, that were available. And at the time, I was like, oh, that sounds dope. Like, my interest currently align very much with what you're describing. And so I decided to graduate and return to Google in a product marketing manager role. Um, and that was really cool for 
you know, several years, I think I got to like, in that same function, hop between several different products and see how that manifested. So I got to work on G Suite and, and see the launch of, you know, Hangouts or Google Meet, which is like the video conferencing uh, service that like was pretty um, flat and not used probably upon launch. But like now during the pandemic, it's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, users up three million. <laughs> yeah, I saw that like way back when. That was kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, that's enterprise focused, consumer focused, um, some work with uh, like government and, and community colleges selling ed tech products, like kind of got to hop between those. But you know, every couple years, you kind of do a check in of what are you loving? What, what do you feel you can be more challenged on? And so when I thought across like, ooh, it was really cool seeing the launch of Hangouts uh, meet hangouts chat it was really cool being at cloud where they were like growing their product portfolio like so rapidly and seeing these products develop out of just ideas um, it was really cool getting to be the lead pmm on some some ed tech products and design the website and layout um, in tandem with other people and then i was like okay it's pretty much this ground up thinking that i'm valuing and kind of distilling what product requirements would be helping with design thinking through okay this looks awesome let's iterate here the user uses this part of the site more and so distilling all that down i was like oh i think this is product management the things that i'm you know gravitating towards across all my projects and so that kind of led me uh to apply to my next thing nice and what do you guys do for creative inspiration during the pandemic i mean it's you know I haven't gone outside. Usually when I want to get inspired, I, you know, go out and I hang out somewhere where it's got energy and people and, you know, stuff's going on. And now I'm, you know, more or less agoraphobic, you know, I stay inside. <laughs> I think the COVID is going to come through the walls. Um, so what do you guys do? How do you get those creative juices going? Um, well, my uh, first answer is, you know, I like a lot of like branding in terms of, um, packaging and you know COVID we've been drinking a lot of wine so wine packaging a lot of inspiration there colorful things like that um my more you know PC answer um I do office hours with black women who are interested in user experience design so every day a couple of hours a day um or a couple of hours a week rather I'm talking to someone who is um trying to be a designer or who is early in their career and I've found that you know talking to early career designers, especially black women, starting my day talking to, you know, a black woman in Ireland or Canada or, you know, Detroit, um, that has given me a lot of inspiration, like indirectly. And when I started doing this, it wasn't for inspiration. It was like to help other people, but they've kind of also helped me a lot. Just remember why I do what I do and like just the excitement that they have about design. Like not that I don't have it, but with the pandemic going on, um, it can be very hard some days to feel productive and to feel like your best self. So when you talk to someone who's like starting out and who's like ready to do anything and hit the ground running, um, it's definitely given me some inspiration um, daily. So I, I appreciate all of those women that I that I work with and that I coach because they really do, you know, get me get me going some days and I'm like, I'm not really feeling it. Um, so that's probably where I get the most of my inspiration these days, but the wine, you know, the wine still helps. <laughs> wine never hurts. Wine uh, never hurt. <laughs> Cameron, how about you? Yeah, plus one to wine. My like last trip before I left the day was like to Napa, you know, had to. Oh, so good, so good. Strong note. Mm -hmm. uh, 
but I think like, I don't know, I feel like everyone being at home, you, you kind of learn a lot about yourself. I think like, I very much have like intense moments of fascination with topics and like explore um, like that. So for a bit, I was like really, like really into like reading about black art and probably read um, every day a, a few books or articles that I really liked and this book by Peggy uh, Cooper Capritz on like black collection. I was like, oh, this is fascinating. Another couple of weeks, I was like, I'm a yoga master now. And I was on Peloton <laughs> yoga, uh, like every day being like, oh yeah, me and a DT Shaw, like we're getting into it. Like, let me, let me stretch it out. Um, uh, when I was in the Bay and the weather quality was good, I would get out on my road bike a little bit um, just to, to get the body going. So I just felt like doing, keeping the habit of doing kind of keeps my mind going mm -hmm. um, is something I think I've learned about myself, uh, specifically for like work and career development, mentorship, similar to Jess. Um, there's been, as you know, a lot of layoffs during this time and tech has been fortunate enough to have a lot of hiring during this time um, across several companies. So I've made myself available to friends in my network and a few degrees outside my network as well to do a lot of, you know, mock interviews, um, talking through what it's like to be a PM, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I, I think I derive more, I don't know, like fulfillment out of working repeatedly with someone and doing several mock interviews and like kind of seeing them, uh, apply out to things or, you know, have the, ups and downs of the application process. But um, yeah, I think that's been like something I've dedicated a lot of time to in the past couple couple months. Yeah. yeah. So let me kind of pivot a little bit and, and um, follow up on what you're saying about working with people, both of you, um, you know, it sounds like reaching out to other people has helped you, which is great. You know, that's a good lesson for life in and of itself. Um, you want a blessing, you know, give a blessing. <laughs> uh, but the um, the thing that I wanted to ask was, where can someone who's really just starting out or interested in um, a career in either, you know, management or design, get that initial foundational understanding of what it is, you know, the, the role actually is, and also um, what skills they need in order to develop, in order to move into one of those roles. Any thoughts? Um, so the advice that I usually give, um, in terms of like where, I, my first thought for people who are trying to get into design is one, before you jump into this new field, is, you know, be a little bit self-aware about how you like to learn. Um, I'm a person, I need to hear something, I need to watch a video, I need to read an article, a couple, I need to hear a couple of different ways before I'm able to actually retain something and then I have to go do it. So I'm a very hands-on person as well. Um, so for me, when I was teaching myself design, like that was really important for me to stay true to because I'm not a person who's like, I have to be in a classroom or I have to have a highlighter and some note cards, like I don't learn that way. Um, so for anyone who's like interested in, I think in whatever field that you're going into is being mindful of how you actually like to learn and the way that you retain information and then just stay true to that as you're diving into whatever you're going into. Um, and then for design, I would say, depending on if you're transitioning from another role or if this is your first role, especially for those that are transitioning, 
Um, one of the things that I found helpful was to find the parallels between my previous role and design and start with those things and start learning those things first because it helped me kind of build my confidence because I kind of already understood, um, for example, user interviews, you know, my background's in journalism. So talking to people, empathy, asking questions, that stuff came very easily to me. Um, so I started with those parts of the design process because it was, it was helpful to me kind of build my confidence. And then when I got to the more complex UX methods down the line, I already had a little bit of a foundation to work off of. Um, the thing about UX design or just design in general is that depending on where you jump in, there are so many different ways to slice it. You can literally, you know, design your own lane in this field. Um, I think that's kind of sometimes very overwhelming for people. And for me, it was, it was like I went to YouTube first, I'm pretty sure, um, like there are thousands and thousands of Medium articles about how to get into UX design. And I wasn't really ready for how to get into it. I just wanted to understand what the hell it was. So YouTube was a great place for me to start um, watching a bunch of different videos until I found someone that kind of spoke my language that I really resonated with. And then I just kind of, you know, followed their content for a while to help me kind of get my feet wet. Um, so it really does depend on kind of where you are. If you're transitioning, if this is your first role, I think understanding what design is can sometimes be very difficult because it is so, you know, big and encompasses so many different things. But I would say the same way that you would find, you know, your influencer on Instagram or wherever, like find that person that speaks the same language as you, um, whether that's a podcast or a book or a YouTube channel. Um, and jump in there and then start kind of getting used to the language and being around, even if you don't understand everything initially, just hearing things multiple times, I think definitely helps people as you're trying to uh, transition in. And, and before I go to you, Cameron, um, Jess, you didn't necessarily have a technical background. I'm, you know, growing up as, as young as you are, and I'm gonna make an assumption, uh, you grew up <laughs> with technology. So it's probably secondhand for you, a lot of the things and the concepts that you are you know, currently working out. You know? uh, and we'll get into Snapchat and Juneteenth and what their product design Snapple was. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. I think inherently, um, people think that they have to be super technical in order to work with these tech companies. And um, yeah. I, I think you proved that that's definitely not the case. Yeah, I think I think the thing about design is that design does not exist because technology exists. Design existed before technology existed. Like most people in your role, wherever you are, whether you're designing systems, whether you're designing processes, a lot of design doesn't even happen on a digital plane at all. It's, it's out in the world. So once people kind of change their mindset away from like, oh, it's just about the physical technology or the hardware or the software, um, I think, you know, design is really just about how you think and being strategic and coming up with um, how to approach a problem, how to solve a problem, how to implement and then iterate. And that doesn't have to be based on technology. It's just in general, like design is, is it exists outside of technology. And I think that's kind of a hard thing for people to hear because we get so excited about UX and UI and visual and motion and all these things because they all feel like digital things. Um, but honestly, it's, it's not really just about the digital spaces. And I think that's what helps people understand more that it's not just about digital. Um, so, yeah. And Cameron, uh, as far as you and your advice to folks who want to, you know, get in from the ground up, not really knowing anything about Product management. I know we talked about your your journey, but uh, are there any skills or you know resources that folks can tap into? Yeah, um, I'm I'm like sitting here 
trying to think of frameworks that are scalable to give out. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> this PM brain. Um, so, but I'll try a framework. We'll see how it goes. Uh, three things that I think I very much was, was actively doing, whether I was aware or not, um, to try and make a push into product management. But I think like it kind of held up in, in justice story as well. And, and honestly, in many like career shifts would be um, focus on getting some sort of social capital. Second, read up on what you're trying to get into. And then third, get next to the people that you think can help you do that. Um, so on, on social capital, I, I throw that in there to say um, there's a lot of people I talk to who are like, oh, I'm not a designer, so I can't be a designer. Ooh, I'm not a product manager, so I can't be a product manager. Ooh, I don't have anything for that. And I think it's kind of a debilitating thing of like, you see where you are and you see what you want and, and some people get real anxious about that. Um, the way like I help people get through that is I say, all of us at mostly weren't in this position and we came from very, very different places. I work with, you know, ex-finance, ex-consultant, ex-design, ex-marketers, ex-advertisers, uh, videographers, et cetera, et cetera. All those people did prior to their careers in product, you know, and then ex-engineers. Um, all those people did prior to becoming a PM was they leveraged their social capital, AKA, what clubs they were a part of or, or working in, what past jobs they had to make a case for why they would be a better PM. So me, my, my social capital was, hey, I've, I've not been a product manager, but I have this capital as a product marketer having worked on these other launches and supported them with these insights that this skill set and experience I have is valuable also for this thing. Mm -hmm. That works if you're, you know, experienced with tech design and you're trying to do product management. That works if you were in finance, in analyzing companies in the tech space, and now we're trying to look into product management. There's a lot of ways to like leverage that social capital. So don't get debilitated by the idea that I don't have it from my last job, so I can't be it in my next job. Second is read up. I think like, you know, I was reading things by Andrew Bosworth, Deb Liu, Sundar, all current or XPMs who are like leaders in, in large companies, Google, Facebook. Um, and you read about what they think product management, product management is, what they think a good PM is, what skills they felt were the most crucial to get the job and what skills they thought were most crucial to do the job. Um, and that really like brings it down once when you're thinking in this like ooh, i don't have it i'm not that and i don't know what that is it's it's a little overwhelming to make a jump but when you can point to someone and say like oh like oh what they're saying i think i can do like oh my job is whatever there's some elements of that you can start kind of making that case and then the last one is get next to people and i think this is hands down the most important in my point of view um you need to like have people around you that can share their experience about what the job is, but more importantly, what the interview process is, how they prep for the interview process, um, all of that. Because once you land the interview, 
all the social capital and all that doesn't matter. It's just about how'd you do in that interview. And so like you need people there to like coach, guide, mentor, all that stuff. And so I think across those three, I think it prepares your mind to make the jump and then, you know, gives you the, the confidence and the people to practice with to, to execute. Yeah. It's a little more difficult now that everyone's virtual to, you know, kind of sit at somebody's desk and say, let me shadow you for the day, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but um, there's a way, there's a will, there's a way. Technology is the equalizer. So somebody will figure out a virtual shadow situation, I'm sure. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask um, was about um, compensation and salary. So you don't have to tell us specifically yours, but maybe you can give us a range based on what you guys do. Uh, because that's another thing that people don't talk enough about, I don't think. You know, um, it's an important factor in choosing a career, you know, what the um, the high watermark is for, you know, what you can earn mm -hmm. uh, for a specific role versus, you know, is it really worth me making the transition from, you know, the track I'm currently on? So as comfortable as you guys feel about it, can you share some numbers or some guidance? Um, I can share some guidance and uh, probably a range. I will, I will say that because I'm in Dallas, so Texas doesn't have income tax. Um, so numbers aren't always equal to what your take-home pay is going to be. So like in San Francisco, um, I was earlier in my career, but I was making, my number was more than what I make now, but the tax in San Francisco was like 30 or 40%. Like it was pretty crazy. So being mindful that like the actual number of salary isn't always an indicator of what you're taking home. Um, I think like Texas, Washington, and maybe one other state doesn't have income tax. So like my number might be lower, but my take home is on par, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. So as people are thinking through that, just be mindful of like that as well, because depending on where you are and where you live, especially going remote, um, oh, in Florida as well, no income tax. So when you're remote, being mindful that, you know, what you're being paid, is it based on where the company is headquartered, based on where you're living, um, state tax regulations, all that kind of stuff. Um, so in terms of numbers, I make less than 200K, um, but I still make more than 150K. Um, so in that range, 150 to 200K, um, again, no income tax. So like my take home is not, it is more than what it might sound like because of not having to pay 40% of my income to San Francisco anymore. Um, so another part of that is obviously benefits and stock. I am like the worst person when it comes to stock stuff. Like I do not know most of what I should. I'm pretty sure I should have a financial advisor at this point, um, but I don't. Um, so all those things kind of incorporate, you know, Twitter, we have unlimited, unlimited PTO. So like there are other factors as well. Um, so just be mindful of all those things when you're considering kind of a salary that you're going after. Um, I know my friends that are freelancers, you know, freelancers, you can charge pretty much whatever. So being mindful of going the corporate route versus the freelance route um, and kind of what that means for your take home pay. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my help, I guess. <laughs> cool, cool. And I, and I have financial planner friends for you, so we can talk. Oh, about that would be helpful because I definitely, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm past due for that. I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. Uh, Cameron, your, your thoughts on yeah. Um, so am I unmuted? Yeah. Um, so yeah, a few things I want to talk 
say to the people who aren't in tech in case they don't understand the structure. Um, for example, right now I am on a team with six other PMs. Um, I am, you know, in my 20s, there are people in their 30s and 40s and, and early 50s on my team. We are all the same role. Um, we have slight levels of expectation differences in how much scope and how much ambiguity we're expected to figure out. And the way tech handles this issue of like, ooh, same role of product manager, but kind of different expectation of responsibility, they have a leveling system. Um, I'm, I haven't worked at Twitter. I imagine, you know, these are all the same models. So Google and yeah. Facebook, you could be a product manager, you could be a PMM, you could be a designer, and your level is the biggest determinant of your pay. So an L5 or an L4 PMM, product marketing manager, could make more than L3 PM, L, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so when you're comparing um, things in tech, like you first wanna say like, ooh, are we the same level? And that's also kind of taboo in the company to be going around being like, oh, what level are you? Um, <laughs> but, but I say all this to say when you're actually talking to the recruiter and the recruiter's like, hey, congrats on the offer. We gave you an L like minus five. Like you got to be like, wait, wait, wait. That's not where I should be level. If you're in my years of experience, I should be this level. Um, I'm an early career PM. And so I think I'm on the lower side of what people at Facebook um, are making. I chose to make the jump to PM from PMM, actually for not a, a salary bump immediately. I think I actually had more years of experience as a PMM. Um, so I didn't really make a bump. That being said, uh, long-term, I think the PM ladder is a higher income ladder. So I'd say similar to, to Jess, right now I'm a little under 200K total compensation across salary, bonus, and equity and equity is usually offered over four years. Um, what I can say though is the thing to watch for is when you look up the ladder, so from L3 to L4 to L5, you wanna be aware of like, ooh, what do those pay bumps look like? And like, where does the pay bump happen? So specifically in tech, most of the pay bump usually is in the equity part of your compensation. So your salary may only go up you know, 10 or 20K, maybe a level to level, but your equity may jump like several tens of thousands in, in the award offer. Um, so I think a lot of people are like asking about salary. Let's widen that to total compensation. If you ask me what I want more of, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty bullish on the future of um, Facebook and its valuation right now. I would take more of my compensation in equity rather than in a salary increase, for example. Mm -hmm. Very good points. Um, makes me think I might want to, you know, start studying a little more design work. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the other thing I mentioned earlier regarding Snapchat and Juneteenth, um, I wanted to kind of have this conversation before we ran out of time. It was um, back in June, and I don't know if you guys recall, but Snapchat uh, had a filter that uh, it was Juneteenth and you could uh, break the chains. Uh, so they basically put you in shackles and you could break the chains. Uh, and for anyone who 
you don't even have to be black. I mean, I'm just going to say you just have to be, you know, socially aware of the climate. It wasn't a good time and a good look for Snapchat, and they got roasted online for it. Uh, from a product design standpoint and a product management standpoint, uh, what are your thoughts? How does that happen? How does that get avoided? And have you guys experienced anything weird like that where you're in a room and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, I can't <laughs> speak to how Snapchat is organized, um, but I think, so one thing that I try to be mindful of is like representation for representation's sake does not solve any problems. Like having more people in the room does not necessarily mean that these things don't get passed through, especially depending on who you are in the company, um, how much of a voice you have, what influence you have, things like that. Um, I also try to be mindful because there, there are Black employees at Snapchat. Some of them may or may not have seen that. Um, they may not have felt comfortable speaking up against it, or maybe they tried to and it did, they didn't get listened to. So I try not to be too general and like, oh, if there was a Black person in the room, that never would have happened because we've, we know that that's not necessarily true. Um, I think one thing that I try to do now with all of my designs, um, and there was a conversation about this on Twitter a while ago, is like, think of all the ways this could go wrong before you push this out the door, basically. Like, um, basically like an Armageddon type strategy, like, all right, well, if everything hit the fan, how could we slice this in so many different ways where like all of this could go terribly, terribly wrong, even with the best intentions, um, it could go south. So with that one, you know, to us, it's like a very blatant, like, what the hell were they thinking kind of situation, um, depending on who's on that product, who's in that room, who makes the call, you know, who's the driver of that work stream or what have you. I don't know how many different, um, you know, steps it takes before something can actually get launched. It could have also been a last minute thing. I'm not trying to like make excuses for it, but product development, I think as a user of products, we we can get very um a little you know a little bullish about like oh, why didn't they do it that way when really when you're in the product development process like there are so many moving parts um and that's not to say that this should have gone out because it absolutely should not have um but like even at twitter like i don't know all the things that launch on the service before they go out sometimes i hear about them when everyone else does because you know everyone's trying to move very fast trying to be very agile so you don't have like big meetings when we're presenting the next product feature like teams are allowed to launch things and you know push things to, to the service um, without going through all of the checks and balances that people think that these big companies have because you want to be able to move quickly the thing about that is like you want to be able to move quickly but also have the leadership in place that doesn't let things like that happen um, so it's a it's a mixture of a lot of things but i think now that i've been in the product development process for so long i try to have and give people a little bit more grace because honestly you really never know but as a black woman as a black person as someone who was like saw that and was like i know they did not do that like i a part of me is like what who who did this um but as a you know a product person as someone who works in development um I try to also give grace to understand that like some things, especially if it was like a last minute, like, oh my gosh, I, I don't even know if Snapchat knew it was Juneteenth. Like, you, you really just never know. They might've been like, you know, let's get something out quickly. Like, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but I try to give grace in product development because, um, you know, they want them, people want to move fast. Companies want to move fast. And, you know, when you move fast and you don't have, um, you know, people there that have the influence to stop things or slow things down as necessary. And not say that they don't, but, you know, some things, 
something's happened. So that's my very diplomatic answer. Cameron, feel free to come through and just disagree all the way through. But I've seen, like, even with Instagram and, like, the versus battles and people being like, well, why don't they just do this? And why don't they just change that? And I'm like, y'all, like, roadmaps are crazy. Like, roadmaps, you know, it takes a while for things to kind of get all the way through or things go really, really quickly. And sometimes that goes bad. So um, I'll let Cameron jump in and, and disagree with me. But I'm, I try to give grace wherever I can. <laughs> yeah. Very you know. diplomatic. Very diplomatic. So I'm, I'm with you uh, for the majority of everything you said. One thing I like to point out is uh, it's no one's like full-time job to be spending all year being like, so Juneteenth is coming up. Like what, <laughs> what's the thing where like, we about to rock the house for Juneteenth. Like no one's, that's no one's full-time job. There probably would not have been a Juneteenth anything unless the world was falling apart in our nation yep. and companies felt the pressure to move. Yes. So inside the company, what does that look like? I imagine it looks the same at Twitter, Snap, Google, Facebook, wherever. It's like, ooh, we got to do something. Uh, and some, some companies are a little, I think, foresee this and they have some things in place and some companies don't have a few things in place. Uh, Google's pretty good at uh, getting feedback and, and building a team to solve that feedback. And, you know, um, it has things called product inclusion teams where literally the goal is like, Ooh, we want to make sure anything we launch is received well across everyone. And, and that's like in, in building new like software, that's very good in accessibility and inclusion of skin tones. If you're using, you know, VR or AR on a face, like it gets my skin tone to someone else's. It knows what, what it works, what it doesn't work for. But it also is good for like testing things like this to certain demographics. Imagine places that don't per se have, you know, uh, a plan for testing things across certain demographics. Uh, that's probably like a tough thing to figure out how to quickly move when you're you know, your room's not per se full of 50 black product managers and product designers who like have a consensus there. It's like, ooh, you know, one or, one or two people in the room that may have some sort of diversity work background at all. So that's like the, the room I wanna paint first. In addition to that, people have other full-time jobs. So like I was a product manager on Facebook Watch doing Facebook watch stuff and I had a friend on, you know, uh, Instagram newsfeed doing their own thing, blah, 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 blah. And then like group chats start popping up of like, Ooh, we as a black PM community need to like come together somehow and figure out some sort of like strategy. Um, so that works at a, a larger company like uh, Facebook, Instagram, where there's some mind sharing and sharing of, of work that could happen. Uh, a friend of mine on the IG side, like, led a sprint and, you know, very PM, <laughs> PM mindset came up with, like, a framework of what we're trying to solve with, like, the work we do. So we're like, we are trying to show our solidarity. We're trying to elevate, elevate Black voices. We're trying to promote fairness for the Black community on Instagram. That was like a sprint where people are, like, ideating what to do. I, uh, I love that, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good, it's a needed process, but it's only a process that can happen if you have resources and, and people able to like stop doing their full-time jobs on PMs and design of other things to focus on this sprint they're doing. 
Um, and then two, like spend weeks iterating on, yeah, we should do this. This makes sense. Ooh, we're testing it. Got it, got it, got it. Um, that, that ideal process should catch some slip ups, but if it's, Ooh, this, you know, uh, unrest, uh, in, in April, we're trying to move like within a month. Oh, we got to find people. Oh, we got to like make it work. Oh, we just got to push it out. We got a day to do it by. You can see how people are like, well, doing something's better than doing nothing. So, you know, we got to shove it out mm -hmm. there and blah, blah, blah. And that's, that's how I see like a lot of issues happening when it comes to like trying to show up, but showing up maybe in not the way people expected you to. Yeah. Uh, that's my two cents on it. Um, and, and not that you guys are in a position now, but I'm sure as you grow in your careers, uh, the lesson learned is to have a diverse team to begin with. <laughs> so well, building diversity I mean, from the ground up. One thing I will say is like, I don't know whose idea it was, but it could have just as easily been a black person's idea. And to them, it might've been a good representation, but depending on the perspective that you're true. looking at, you know, you go to black Twitter and you're ripping it apart, but you go to Facebook, everyone's like, oh, this is amazing. So that's another thing to be mindful of like in product development is that depending on the perspective that you look at or the users that you're building for, which is like obviously the basis of what, what we do is like, how, who are we actually building this for? Um, but to Cameron's point, if you didn't have time to test and iterate and get feedback and kind of go through a couple of different cycles, you might go out with the first idea and maybe depending on who was in the room, it, it sounded great. It looked great. It worked. We pushed it out. And then, you know, you wait and see how the people are going to respond. So um, it, it's hard when you're um, from the outside looking in. But I think, you know, it could have easily been, you know, a black person's, you know, and if it had just been like on a, you know, just, just on a black platform, for example, maybe we wouldn't have been so Maybe, it, maybe, like, yeah, I, I guess, I, you know, I'm still like, mm, person, I, I hear you. Not really, not really, <laughs> you know, I, I, I personally didn't care for it, but you know, it wasn't, you know, I'm trying to give grace. I don't know if it, I, I don't want to see necessarily be a white person breaking chains, but you know, that's just me. But you never, you yeah. never know. You never know. One, one small asterisk I also want to throw on. I don't even know, you know, I'm not even talking specifically about Snapchat anymore, but I'm like, just to give the visual of the room, most of these designers and PMs, et cetera, are often the only black person in their room, in their sprint, mm -hmm. et cetera. And there's like a hell of conversations they're trying to deal with. And so for me, who wasn't leading any, any sort of, you know, uh, uh, Facebook sprint on diversity to show up for, for Juneteenth, like in my working meetings, my org meetings, like I'm still dealing with questions of, well, Cam, you know, what's going on here? Like what, what is going on in the world? And, and I'm expending my mental energy there and doing my job. So if I had to expend my mental energy, like reading the news, then taking the news and explaining it to coworkers and then doing my job. And then someone threw on the fourth thing of like, ooh, and figure out what we should do for Juneteenth. Like, <laughs> you see how you're just like, yeah, that looks good, boom, put it out. Like, yeah. I, that's, yeah. that's the only, as I think about what probably happened in all these companies, like that's what I think. And I'm like, you know, God bless the people making yeah. you know. Yeah, like I, I definitely think that Snapchat got what they needed to get to never do that again. But it's hard for me to place blame on any person. Um, so just like as a okay. unit, not looking great. But I think that, you know, you got to 
Gotta okay. learn from those right. mistakes. We won't, we won't throw anybody under the bus. That's I, say, I don't know. <laughs> you guys might need to work there in the future, so we'll keep and it this clean. Is recorded. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, um, let me open it up because we do have a few more minutes, and I didn't want to get to any questions that anyone in the audience may have. So if you do have any questions, um, feel free to unmute your mic, ask your question, or if you want, you can put your question in the chat, and I'll ask it for you. So, anybody? So, um, hi everyone, my name is Nahom. Um, I have two questions, and first of all, thanks, Dennis, uh, for hosting this. And uh, Go Chiefs, I'm not trying to hold anybody back from the first football game after a few few months, <laughs> even the first, like, months, uh, years. Um, so, Listening to Jess, I think you pointed out this this idea where you're trying to help all these different people from different countries, right? And some one thing that I'm shooting for is I'm originally from Ethiopia, so I tend to focus on more, most of my projects in Ethiopia, right? So understanding the technology over here and how can I reverse engineer it? to make it work the way, the right way to do it, and then take it back home. But discussing on that point of like reaching out to all these different people, all different parts of the world, how are you able to fit in time zone difference, all that, you know, obstacles? Um, that's a good that question. I don't know that I do a very good job of it necessarily. Um, I was a, a mentor for a program in Nigeria, so on West Africa time. So when I like when it was in my week to lead the the program, like I had to wake up and I was on a four a.m. call um, because everyone was in Nigeria, obviously. So I use like Calendly, which is like just the software, and I put my personal availability. Um, and then everyone who is interested in signing up for office hours, which, whichever women, wherever they are, um, they kind of choose the slot that works for them. Um, I have had people who reached out to me on Twitter um, or reached out to me via email to kind of say, hey, do we have, can you adjust the time a little bit because of this one or that one? Um, so it just kind of depends on the situation that I'm in. Like if I am in someone else's program and like, hey, we're on West Africa time. It's like, all right, cool. I'm up at 4 a.m. We're, we're doing a session. We're doing a call. Great. Um, I've had people who taken calls that are technically like 9 p.m. their time where it's like 8 a.m. my time. So it's difficult. I will say that. I think for things that are like one-offs, I'm okay doing earlier or later um, to help that person. For things that are kind of reoccurring, I try to get a good routine in that I can actually maintain. Can I maintain waking up at 4 a.m.? Probably not. So like it's probably not a good idea for me to sign up for that. Um, it just kind of depends on kind of what I'm doing. So something that I'm owning, I'm fine kind of um, changing my schedule to fit the person, but if I'm fitting into someone else's program or someone else's curriculum, I try to adjust myself, but I don't want to sign myself up for things that I can't actually maintain. So hopefully that answers your question. Thank you. Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, do you have anything else? Because I do want to get to a couple other folks, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, one last thing. Um, I, I think just looking at it, uh, Cameron, you brought up uh, second discussion where you're like Juneteenth and every every project start going out and I saw Dennis smiling and saying hey you know what at least our voice is being heard on this side right 
how do we make that, how do we involve ourselves into that discussion? How do we involve ourselves into that um, project sprints? Um, I work at GEICO. I'm in the program called the Emerging Leaders Program, but we have to, every six months, we have to rotate teams to be able to understand each responsibility. First, first year analysts, analyst, scrum master, all of that. So how do you put yourself into those discussions if you have suggestions or, you know, working in this big companies? Um, I want to make sure I'm, I'm getting the question right. So like when like moments happen and there needs to be some sort of company response, how do you kind of position yourself to be included in, you know, how should the company like how should the company respond and like how can you as a uh, a black person in the company be a part of that is that correct or yeah yeah Pro kind of like proactive and also after the damage was done mm -hmm. how do you able to correct it the right way yeah and and i'll and i'll name my privilege and say i think i've had the privilege of working at companies that uh try to value a bottoms up approach um, and so very rarely in the company would something be like, we're doing that because person at the top said that's the best thing to do. Like, rarely is that how it goes. Usually it's people know the preference of maybe some leader VP in the company, but it is fully encouraged that if you get a proposal with an idea formulated and put together, you can pitch that idea. And so usually what I've seen across my years at Google and Facebook is that's how things bubble up. It's like something happens in the news. Someone in the company is like, we want to respond to this group chat, start forming. In this case, it was a lot of black people being pulled into a group chat saying like, should we be doing something? What's going on? And then like literally, you know, documents of ideas or brainstorms saying like, mm, we need to do something with our dollars. We need to do something with our product. We need to, you know, use our voice. And like, you know, people put together frameworks and then the PMs are like, oh yeah, yeah, we could do something on the product with design. And then people um, on the finance and corporate social responsibility team are like, oh yeah, we got a few ideas to support the black community on this side. And then like you blank and there's a, uh, you know, bits of proposals here. And then you talk to the VP over there, the VP over there. And then you all of a sudden have like buy-in to do a sprint on this product or trying to, to support black owned banks or, um, you know, trying to diversify who, you know, what faces show up in, in certain part of our, um, our products. So that's been my experience. I, I hope it's similar to Twitter where, you know, if you come with an idea, at least they hear you out. And especially in times of, well, we need to do something like, yeah, people are more down to listen, I imagine. <laughs> what, one thing I will mention too, is that um, the affinity groups, um, so for Facebook is black at for Twitter is the blackbirds. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of companies out there that have a black group um, that will come up with ideas and suggestions. So if you have one at your company, um, you should join and be vocal. If you don't, um, you know, maybe you can get an executive sponsor and, and, and create one. Uh, and it doesn't take a lot, you know, if you're, you know, two people, that's a group. So uh, think about it if um, if you want to pursue that. 
Uh, Kyle, did you have a question? Yes, um, I'll be brief. Um, so to give you a quick background, I do actually work in tech. I'm on the sales side. I've been in tech for about four years now, actually not about definitely four years now. And um, I've done a little research already uh, as far as what would it take, what it would take for me to transition over to the PM side. So my main question is because I've been given, I guess, uh, some advice from some people I know that are in PM. Um, and my question to you is I was told to read at least to start a book called Inspired by Marty Kagan. Um, so I wanted to kind of ask opinions on the book and if there's any other routes maybe I should take specifically to transition from sales over to PM. I know um, individuals do transition over to PM from a bunch of different um, job descriptions or backgrounds. Yeah, um, I pretty much have like two, I can imagine like two transition paths one is like, ooh, I have some uh, skills that make me the right person for this thing, for to be a PM on this thing, or I have experience that generally gives me some sort of product uh, sense for this area. So um, in sales, you probably have pretty good mastery of um, CRM platforms. You probably have pretty good mastery of of the ad tech ecosystem. You probably have pretty good understanding of like ads analytics or just data reporting in general. I see a lot of people leverage that experience and say like, ooh, based on this expertise I have, I could be a PM in this adjacent area, a PM, CRM, PM in that area, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so I would say like, that is one way to think of it. And the other is, ooh, I've developed the, instead of like this space, like, oh, I have worked adjacent to products this whole time. So whether it's in sales, I have consistently been a part of the sales product feedback cycle. And I've been doing that for a long time. And now I'm, I feel comfortable trying to make it to the product side. I think like those are like two stories you could, you could go with. Um, in terms of the book, I've not personally read that book. Um, I tend to be someone who tries to like find people and read a lot of speeches and like medium articles by product leaders. And that's like kind of, you know, the route I take, but you know, books like that, or, you know, uh, there's a, there's a lot of PM literature that that could be useful for you. For me, I like personally didn't, um, go the like book route. Um, sorry, I think there might've been another part of your question that I might've missed. No, that was uh, that was pretty much it. You, I'd say you hit the nail on the head. So, um, thank you for that. Yeah, no problem. And we have two questions in chat, and I know we're a little over time, but I'm going to get to both of them. Um, I'm going to delay football just a little bit more, uh, but uh, <laughs> there, there are two. So I'm going to um, ask. Um, I think Jessica, let's do the interview question for you, and then there's another one for side project. So uh, the question regarding interviewing is. Uh, what attributes do you need in order to have a successful interview? And, um, you know, how do you go about the preparation process? Um, yeah, so I'll start with the preparation process. For me, at least for design, um, a lot of what our interview entailed is presenting past work and talking about, you know, what we call case studies about projects that we have um, either led or been a part of, worked with a team, worked by ourselves. 
Um, for me, one of the big things when preparing for an interview is knowing my projects inside and out, not because I am memorizing anything, not because I know exactly what I'm going to say, um, but because I need to know that I'm well versed in it because depending on who's in your room um, or who's interviewing you, you're going to get questions from every angle. So you might have an engineer in your room, you might have a product manager, you might have other designers. Um, so you want to be very knowledgeable about what that project was, what the problems were that you were trying to solve. Um, the strategy that you took to actually solve those problems and also the result of what happened. Um, so one of that part of that is just knowing the project and choosing projects that you're actually excited to talk about. Um, choosing your best work to talk about in interviews is really important because people can tell when you really don't you know, care about the thing that you worked on. So um, being mindful that because you are presenting your work, you're presenting yourself, you're selling yourself, um, that you're always bringing your best self, but also bringing your best work and work that you're excited to talk about, as well as work that you're excited to do again. So you want to talk about things that you actually want to work on in the future. Um, and then the other part of that I would say is um, how I know I had a successful interview, honestly, it's like really confidence is really big for me. Like, do I feel confident in what I was saying? Do I feel confident um, that I got my point across? Did I leave anything on the table? Um, did I express myself in a way that I felt was resonating with the people in the room? Um, a lot of that for me is really reading the room when you get there. So again, not giving everyone the same speech. When I'm talking to an engineer, I'm talking more about systems and APIs and talking about the back end of the work that I was doing. I change kind of what parts of the project I'm talking about depending on who I'm talking to because I want to be mindful of that person as well. Um, so it's not like you're giving everyone the same spiel every single time you go into a one-on-one -on -one in your interview. You want to be well prepared to talk about all parts of the project depending on you know what type of project it was. So um, that's kind of what I try to do when I'm preparing is one, hopefully the company is going to tell you in advance who's going to be in your interview. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, but just be mindful that usually, especially at big companies, interviews are definitely cross-functional. So you're going to get people from all different walks of life, um, all different disciplines. So being mindful that you're not going to be just talking to designers or just talking to PMs. You're going to be talking to people that you're going to eventually work with. Um, and one thing to always mention, you know, in an interview is how you work with cross-functional partners. So how is this you as well as your PM, your engineer, your salesperson, your PMM? Um, how did you work with other people to bring this product to fruition? Um, not just design, 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 or P, you know, product management, product management, product management, um, because at big companies and small companies, product development is a team sport. It's not just about your discipline. It's about how you work with everyone else as well. So being mindful that you're also telling your story um, and explaining your narrative, talking about your projects through your own lens, but also considering the other people that you worked with. Thank you. All right, and Cameron, last question for you. Um, do you have any side projects? And if so, are they real projects or are they more, you know, kind of research-based and just kind of for your own edification? Um, right now, like during this year, I have no like, um, you know, company on the side or, or anything like that. I think like, as I, as I said earlier, I think I've been dedicating my free time to getting other people in the door um, at companies. So I don't know if I would call that like a side project. I, it's like a weird blend between like a responsibility. I feel, you know, we as people at these companies um, should take on. Um, but what I would say is like, you, you should like always be trying to like distill 
what is like you doing your job versus like what is you taking some sort of knowledge out of that project. And so I think in what I'm doing in Facebook Reality Labs, I'm very much like, ooh, this is a cool thing we're doing for the company, but I'm constantly tooling like, oh, based on this, what do I think the future of this consumer segment is like, and then what additional things, you know, could come out of that. So I do try to adopt that mentality. Right now, it's not manifested into like, you know, a startup I'm trying to get off the ground on the side, but, you know, one day, hopefully inspiration strikes, you know. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Well, I do definitely and sincerely appreciate everyone's time and uh, energy. Uh, we will have this recording uh, online on our website. And if you haven't had an opportunity to become a member of Blacks and Technology, it's free. It's just a, you know, a few question survey. We have events like this. We have free and discounted stuff. So why not uh, take time and, uh, you know, join us. Um, if there were questions that you had that didn't get answered, uh, send them to me. I'll see if I can get them answered for you. But otherwise, everyone have a good evening. Thank you for joining and don't be strangers. Definitely um, connect on social. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. Here. Thank you. Bye. Bye.